The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLaRente, and we're going to talk about some NASCAR because it's time for the new season, so the new season is upon us. And I've got two very special guests I haven't connected with in quite a while, but it's always a good time to talk to them because new season means new possibilities. So first we have Miss Renee. How are you, Renee? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. No problem. No problem. And also one of the co-hosts of All Turns No Breaks, we got Mr. Front Row Kenny. What's going on, Kenny? Hey, what's going on, man? I really appreciate the invite. This is going to be fun. Oh, I really appreciate both of y'all taking some time this weekend to talk about NASCAR. Uh, the season is going to start on Tuesday. Um, one of the many changes that we're going to talk about here uh, with NASCAR in the season. But first off, we're just going to get into what happened last year. Quick season review. Uh, Denny Hamlin, he won the opening Daytona 500 on his way to seven wins on the season. Uh, his win was marred by the last lap incident involving Ryan Newman and Corey LaJoy. Uh, very tense a couple of days there for Ryan Newman, but he was able to walk out of the hospital uh, about three or four days later. Uh, so great to see that. Uh, after that opening Daytona 500, Kevin Harvick, he wins Indianapolis and the Southern 500 on his way to a series leading nine wins on the season. Cole Custer, Alex Bowman and William Byron won their first career cup races. Uh, then the pandemic struck and we had a pause in all sports. And then iRacing went mainstream and NASCAR was the first sport to return to action after the start of the pandemic. Matt Kenseth replaced Kyle Larson shortly after that, after Larson is caught using a racial slur on iRacing. NASCAR then bans the Confederate flag from races and stands behind Bubba Wallace after the Talladega door pool incident. And finally, Chase Elliott wins the final two races of the year to win the cup championship and finish with five wins on the season. So um, we'll start there, just kind of season recap. Uh, Kenny, with you being in the industry, I know that um, from uh, February through the first week of March, everything seemed pretty normal. But then after that, your whole world got turned upside down. So just kind of go through with us kind of what your changes were and how NASCAR was able to pull off uh, the second part of their season uh, with a big schedule change and the things that went into that. Yeah, so I can remember pretty much everything clear as day from the first email I got about we're not going to be back in the office, and it was maybe a week after um, Atlanta happened. Because that weekend in Atlanta, I remember a lot of other things were happening in other sports where they were getting canceled. And when we got to the Atlanta weekend, you know, everyone rolled in on Friday as normal, and then – a variety of reports came out that day. We're racing. We're not racing. We're going to be racing. We're not going to be racing. And then finally, the actual decision came down from NASCAR, and it was made official that Atlanta wasn't going to happen. And then once we got to that point, that was it. And, you know, having the season come to such a grinding halt like that was kind of crazy. Obviously, I've never witnessed anything of that nature. I've had a major rain delays and have a race move back for a couple hours but to have the season going full pause nobody could have ultimately expected that but once we got to that point we waited for i would believe about six weeks and that's how we ended up getting into the iRacing deal and i think that whole thing itself was a really cool promotion for it for myself who has been an iRacer in the past and still does from time to time i think that was a really cool thing that nascar was able to Push out the people. And the thing is about motorsports, we're one of the very few sports where you're probably going to get as close as you can get to being in a real car. iRacing is really, really detailed for those who have never tried it out. It's like one of the top of the line sims, bar none. And it's the pretty much the cheapest way you can get into racing, if we're being honest. <laughs> um, but with that, 
it showcased that to people. And I assume that they had a pretty huge boom of people joining memberships, especially with the fact that with COVID, we can't really do much outside. And especially right then and there where there were a lot of states that were on lockdown. All you had was nothing but time. There was nothing else you could do. You just had time to race and you had time to do whatever. So it was a cool thing. They were able to do that and showcase that to the casual fan and anybody who plays 2K or anything else. You really can't get that close to being a a legitimate three point shooter. You can be a legitimate racer online and have that experience and possibly translate it to real life. It's not impossible. But once we got through those few weeks of of iRacing, the announcement came that we were coming back in Darlington in May. And once that happened, you know, it was kind of a moment of, man, I hope everything goes well. I hope all the protocols work. And obviously NASCAR team had a great deal of uh, measurements to go into safety. And they made sure that they had those facilities cleaned out. They didn't have any personnel. There were no fans from the very beginning. There were very, very limited amount of people in general, even from my own team, that could even get to the track. So, you know, it was a tough thing to do, but I think, being able to work through an entire season without having a outbreak is a huge deal. Obviously, there were a couple people who had caught COVID, like Austin Dillon, for example, and Jimmy Johnson. But other than that, to keep people pretty stable and sterile the entire time is a, is a good thing. So it was tough. And I think moving forward into this season, where we may still have a lot of these issues happening. Um, it's going to be crazy. But I think the fact that you saw them being able to move races around make sure the schedule gets intact and we finish the entire season on time no no changes everything finished on time so the you know kudos to a lot of my teammates for being able to make something like that happen now miss renee i'll bring you in um nascar was not uh, immune to the summer of social change as uh, with through the help of Bubba Wallace uh, taking a bigger stance um, in his position as the only, you know, black driver on the circuit, started bringing some things to more people's attention. And uh, the banning of the Confederate flag from the races. Um, just talk about just the summer of change in NASCAR and uh, how they're looking to kind of be more inclusive going forward uh, after all of these years of kind of, you know, sitting on their hands when it came to that subject. Yeah, but actually, if you think about it, the traces of Bubba Wallace having to speak up really started back in the iRacing, iRacing part of the schedule because of Kyle Larson's actions. Right. So he was, as he said before, if you're looking for the black NASCAR driver in Cup, he is the one. He is the only one. So he... Naturally, people look to him for a response, you know, if it, you know, if it's, I, I, I struggle for the word, fair to him or not. And so by the time we got to, that was April, I believe it was around Easter. By the time we got to May and the George, George Floyd rebellion, again, everyone's like, okay, how do we handle this? And he said something that, a lot of people in that garage area have said and have wanted for many, many years, but maybe didn't know if they had the cachet to say is, we need to get this flag up out of here. And so through that, and I think NASCAR, the management there saw an opportunity to say, we can do this, we can do it now. And thankfully they, they took that chance from my perspective as, as, a, as a black woman who's been to these races, who's been to to point one out, Talladega. <laughs> so, which leads into the garage pull incident, as it's been, been being called now. I, there's a lot of things I didn't think I'd ever see on NASCAR. One is the banning of the Confederate flag, and I was curious about places like Darlington and Talladega, how, how it would be enforced or come to pass how they're going to deal with it, but they seem like they're truly committed to it. And there's always going to be the backlash, someone who feels like you're infringing upon them. But if you feel it, it, if it's best for your company and your, and everyone else to go, go through, it's the right way forward. Right. Right. Uh, Unfortunately, 
Uh, like you said, the Kyle Larson incident cost him uh, his spot with Ganassi Racing. Uh, Matt Kenseth uh, stepped in and finished out the season for him in just another strange season because Matt Kenseth never re- really officially retired. Um, talk about kind of the first-time winners. We had Cole Custer, Alex Bowman, and William Byron, uh, two guys from Hendrick, and then Cole Custer, one of the hot young shot rookies, uh, getting their first wins. Uh, some new excitement coming in with those guys getting their first cup win. Um I think that Alex Bowman was no surprise. He's been kind of knocking at the door the past couple of years, finished second a bunch of times uh, last year. But William Byron and Cole Custer, uh, Renee, I'll start with you. Um, just uh, were you shocked, especially by Cole Custer, uh, his race in, what was that, Texas he won? It was Kentucky. Kentucky that he won? Yeah. Um, just talk about the two, the first-time winners, and uh, were you surprised, or you know, was that something that you saw coming? Bowman, no. He probably should have won last year, if we're being honest. Um, I can remember a few races, can't pull the exact places off of my head where he was close. And he's been fast ever since he, I believe he subbed for Dale Jr. at first. First, kind of like Truex. He jumped in the car and said, oh, you're going to be fine when you you get here full time. Mm -hmm. For Byron, uh, I'm not White is surprised he won. He is with Hendrick. He is in the 24. But maybe surprised it was a plate track. But given the circumstances, it was, we were headed towards the chase. They wanted people. They, you know, teams were starting to go, how do we get all, get as many people as we can into the chase? I'm, I'm not exactly surprised in, in that sense. Because I think Chase had a chance, but, but kind of deferred in that moment. Mm-hmm. And when when it comes to Cole Custer, I have to go back. I've probably seen the ends of Kentucky ten times, and and still probably can't tell you how it happened. <laughs> it was just one of it was one of those very crazy kind of crazy restarts that whoever got shot out first was going to win, especially with the horsepower package they they were using. Right. Right. Kenny, I'll bring you back in for the end of the season. Uh, we had high drama as the most popular driver in the sport. Chase Elliott was on the outside looking in, coming into the final race of the playoffs. He basically was in a win and get in situation at Martinsville. And uh, he delivered in a way that he hadn't uh, leading up uh, so far in kind of a big race deal for him in his career. Then he did the same thing. And the final race at Phoenix, he kind of went to the back, then came back to the front and ended up dominating that race as well. I just talked about Chase Elliott um, the last, you know, two to three weeks of the season and, uh, you know, his development and his maturity into becoming the champion. Yeah, I think out of all of his Hendrick teammates, obviously it was between himself, uh, Alex Bowman, and obviously William Byron and Jimmy Johnson, obviously the entire season. But if you look at the win totals, he carried the load, obviously followed by William Byron and Alex Bowman, who got a win. Both got wins last year, which is still kind of crazy in my mind because both of their wins were kind of surprising. Bowman at Auto Club and Byron at Daytona to get himself into the playoffs. So that was crazy in itself. But Chase just seemed to have that moxie. And it seemed like this time around, he was going to be able to deliver. And he, at Martinsville, after that race, I felt like he was in prime position to do well at Phoenix. Last year at Phoenix, he had a wreck very early in the race. It wasn't. It really just wasn't his day. But something, for some reason, despite him having to come from the back at the end of that race, it looked like it was just his day and it was going to be it. And once he got going, it was a wrap. Once he got to the lead, there was just no looking back for him. And he had a really composed race. Tim and Alan Gustafson, they seem to have a very good pairing, uh, crew chief to driver pairing. And they made it work all season. They made it work all season long. They weren't necessarily always the best, but I noticed once we came back from the break and when he wanted Charlotte and then he almost wanted Darlington, I'm like, man, this guy could be one of the drivers at the very end of the season that could make it to the championship for it. And he did it in a very convincing fashion. There was no, you could say, there was no real luck in that sense. He outright won it at Martinsville. 
went to Phoenix, dominated the race, and got his first championship and ultimately the most popular driver award, just like his dad, Bill. So it was a great banner year for him and I think obviously for the sport because he is definitely one of the more recognizable faces by far and obviously a huge fan favorite. So having a fan favorite win your championship in any form or fashion or any series is always a huge deal. So that's huge on Hendrick. It's been a while since they've been really, 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 really good. So to speak, they've had the talent. They just finally have been able to deliver and got a championship. Now the real question is, can he repeat? Because we have yet to have a repeat champion in this current playoff format. That will bring me to the two guys who dominated the season, uh, the regular season, that is. Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick. Seemed like every week it was a duel uh, between those two drivers uh, in the regular season. Uh, neither one of them, maybe what, Denny was in the final four? Or was that Harvick that was in the final four? Harvick just missed it, but it was Denny. Yeah, Denny was the only one of those two who who ended up with a chance to win the championship. Yeah, Kevin Harvick uh, had some end-of-the-season uncharacteristic finishes uh, for him. Uh, but, Renee, we'll get your thoughts first or just on the season, the most the two most dominant drivers, uh, Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin, and then I'll pose, uh, you know, get Kenny's thoughts on those two guys as well. Yeah, it did not play out the way that either of them expected. For Kevin Harvick, it came down to Texas more than Martinsville, in my opinion. He was leading when the fog and the rain hit. Uh, There was obviously probably moisture on the track, and he slid into the wall, and nothing was the same. Uh, for, For Denny Hamlin... He was more affected by the change of the championship race to Phoenix from Homestead. Homestead is where Joe Gibbs Racing has has sh- shines, even when their car their car isn't even in the playoffs. And also for Denny Hamlin, somewhere he shines when he's not even in in the playoffs. And changing it to Phoenix, where Joe Gibbs Racing struggled mightily in the beginning of of the year, and didn't have any practice really hurt him typically. And that was kind of emblematic of the not having practice throughout the whole year because Joe Gibbs racing. Typically sometimes they start fast, but usually they don't and they work their way into the season. So when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden there's no practice, Toyota and Joe Gibbs racing are looking at each other are probably looking at each other like, there goes our plans of of always coming on towards the end of the season. And all of a sudden, they're stuck with what they have and they can't really figure it out. And it ends up really biting them in the championship chip race with Denny because Denny, I, I'm surprised he finished fourth. He was nowhere near Chase or either of the Penske cars when we got there. So... It, in general, it was just kind of a little bit of fortunes, the see- seesawing from them over to Chase in the end, where Chase just came on strong and there didn't it didn't look like anyone was going to be able to stop him, especially from about the roval forward. Kenny, uh, your thoughts on the seasons of Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick, two most standout drivers of the year, but neither of them have the championship trophy to sh- uh, go to prove it. Yeah, see, that's tough. That's 13 wins combined with those two, I believe, this season, our last season. And honestly, they were my picks from the get-go to win the championship back in February. I thought they would be the ones to end up winning this thing. And then also, once we got to the point where we didn't have practice, I felt like the veterans, if anything, and obviously Kyle Busch is not a testament to this one, even though he got one win at Texas to keep his streak alive. I thought that Kevin Harvick and Denny and anybody in that type of category would have been fine with having no practice. I felt like those guys would have been okay because they've been doing this for so long once you really think about it. But honestly, my thoughts going into the Martinsville weekend were if Denny was to win, I felt like he would probably win at Phoenix. He did not win at Martinsville where he's typically been very good at, had quite a few wins there over time. And it just didn't turn out for him. Now, Kevin Harvick's case, like Renee said, with Texas, I felt like Texas was more so the breaking point as well versus Martinsville because of the accident he had so early on. And 
all it really takes in this playoff format is to have one bad race and it can ruin your entire the rest of your playoffs or whatever round you're respectively in. And that's kind of what happened to Kevin Harvick, because once Texas happened, Martinsville, he had to he um, he virtually had to either win out or make sure everyone else is behind him so he could get in on points. But that's the again, the tough thing about it. So he wasn't in that situation. Got desperate as can be almost pretty much took himself. He pretty much took himself out and Kyle Busch at the same time. Didn't wreck him necessarily properly. Didn't use that bump and run right. And it just didn't work out for him. So it was tough on his on his behalf. And honestly, you a lot of people could argue that while him being the regular season champion, he should be your your entire season champion, if that makes sense in this uh, statement. But yeah, it was a great season for both of them. And honestly, with this final year in this car, I'm expecting them to still be on the same exact level. And it will be very interesting to see if Denny can capture his fourth Daytona 500 and it'll be the third in a row. And as a matter of fact, if he does do it, he will be the first to do it. There's only been a couple people who have done it twice in a row, but no one has done it three times in a row. So maybe this could be it this year. Yeah, yeah, maybe it could be. Um, one of the things that happens with the offseason coming is always a lot of changes, so we'll move into that part of the show now. Uh, we had driver changes galore. We had Christopher Bell moving from a charter up to the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing. Alex Bowman is moving over to the 48, replacing Jimmy Johnson. Ross Chastain, coming up from Xfinity, will drive the number 42 car. Eric Jones is moving over to Petty Racing in the 43. Corey LaJoy is going to move to the number 7. Kyle Larson, free agent, signed with Hendrick Racing to drive the number 5. And they're basically replacing the number 88 team. John Hunter Nemerchek is going back to the truck series. Daniel Suarez will drive the number 99. And Bubba Wallace is moving to the new team created by uh, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan to drive the number 23. So we'll start with Kenny again on this one. Kenny, um, the changes in the driver's um, area is always a big deal. Um, What is the biggest move you think of everything that I listed there that caught your attention and you were like, hmm, that could be a very promising landing spot for that particular driver. So I definitely, by de- default, have got to pick the move for Bubba. I think that's a real huge upgrade from Richard Petty Motorsports, obviously, with him pairing up with Denny Hamlin and the infamous UNC legend himself, Michael Jordan. Um, that itself is a huge deal. It's a very huge power move, and I think, a lot of people are going to look at it as, okay, so it's the fifth Gibbs car, basically, which is not, I don't think that's false in a sense because of the cars they're going to get. It's kind of similar to what the Levine family racing deal was. It's pretty much the same deal. They have a, a car, they're getting cars prepped by Gibbs. So they have that in their back pocket. Now, I think the thing people also have to consider going into this season, while that is an exciting move, is that a lot of these teams probably aren't going to do anything super, super drastic going into the season. Because again, remember next year we're getting a brand new car. So why put all your eggs into a car that you won't run in the next 12 months versus you see how the season goes, you fill everything out, you get accustomed to everyone who's working with the team. Then you go from there and next year you go, you know, full throttle. <laughs> but yeah, I think that move is huge because a lot of people have been were wondering what was going to happen with him. A lot of people thought he was going back to Richard Petty Motorsports. And obviously there was also the rumor that maybe he may be starting his own team. And obviously Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan had an idea and they paired up. And some people also thought Denny was going to Hendrick because of him and Mr. Hendrick were on a boat as a matter of fact, during the summer, and a lot of people thought, like, whoa, this is a little different. But, of course, later it was revealed that he was trying to get advice from Hendrick, who's obviously been a longtime car owner in NASCAR, trying to get a feel for that and understand how you know what he may have needed to do moving forward. And he did it. And pairing up with Michael Jordan is a huge deal because I feel like that's something that those two have shared a lot of times, especially since Jordan is an actual legitimate racing fan. And that's something he's always wanted to do. And now it's here, and it'll be interesting to see how they move forward, honestly, throughout the 2021 season. Uh, 
All right, Renee, uh, your thoughts on the driver change? Same question. Uh, which move stood out to you and, uh, you know, you think benefits the driver who made the move the most? There are a few that 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 point that jump out to me. Bubba Wall, obviously Bubba's jumps out because anytime you can get the cachet of Michael Jordan behind you in any sort of competitive sense, there's going something's going to happen. You're not going to be. It's not going to stay flat. You're going. It's going to be good, or it's or changes will be made. So I feel that's a good situation for Bubba. What jumps out to me is Kyle Larson. Even though everything that happened, he ironically kind of ended up where he was probably going to end up in the first place. Hendrick was very adamant going into the season that he was going to, you know. Get, at, get after him and try to get him over from Ganassi. And there was a moment of, could he come back? You know, back racing being so sponsorship dependent, except for Hendrick, who has so many businesses, he could foot, foot the bill for someone who maybe can't find sponsorship at the moment. Now, Kyle, Kyle Larson does have a couple of independent sponsors that have come on since, but since he was announced to Hendrick in, I believe it was late October, there was no sponsor. There was no sponsor on that car. He doesn't even have the obligatory manufacturer deal. So the only place he could have been was going to be Hendrick, the person who wanted him in the first place. And it'll be very interesting to see how that happens because he's he's the veteran on that team. He's only about 27, 28, and he is the legitimate veteran on that team. Now, obviously, he's not top dog. That's Chase Elliott. But that that's going to be a very interesting thing to see. And a move that I think that could work out kind of on the uh, outside of the marquee name is Daniel Suarez. He really got caught off guard in the furniture row shutting down and Toyota needing to make a space for Martin Truex Jr., and I think that really threw him off off his game for a while. And now he's he's kind of been able to take a breath. He knows what he needs. He see, he seemed to have found a place where he can thrive now. And I'm really I would really love to see him do well in his new ride with Trackhouse. With the driver driver movement, there were also a couple of retirements. Uh, Jimmy Johnson ending uh, his 20-year NASCAR career uh, this season and one of the craziest seasons ever. A lot of people were hoping he would get one more win, one more chance at another championship to break this high he has with Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. Uh, came very close. Um, what was that race he was leading? Was that the first Darlington race he was leading and and just made a bad move on a lap car and wrecked? Uh that was one of his best shots at winning. He had another shot really later in the season uh, where he had a good run, a couple chances to win. And Clint Boyer, uh, who did some stints during the iRacing up in the booth for Fox, he is going to retire and move full-time with Fox to be their uh, third man in their booth. And Matt Kenseth made it official that he is going to go home now and uh, you know be with those little girls. And uh, no, don't call him if you need a replacement driver. Um, so, you know, Cup Champion, one of its best pro personalities and one of its most consistent drivers uh, will all be off the schedule this year. Um, Kenny, I'll come back to you. Uh, first time in 20 years that this season is going to start up without an Earnhardt or Gordon or a Jimmy Johnson on the track. Um, this is truly the changing beginning, I think, of the changing of the guard for NASCAR. Um, just, you know, your thoughts on the retirements of Jimmy Johnson, Clint Boyer and Matt Kins. Man, you know, that's crazy you mentioned that. And also, I'll throw this fact in because I just read it not long ago. I believe Kurt Busch is the only driver that was starting the Daytona 500 this year that was in the 2001 race. I think he is the last one. So we're definitely in a time of changing of the guard. And I think it's a, a very crucial time in NASCAR. You've got a lot of young drivers with a lot of talent. And I mean, these are new faces that you're going to just have to get used to. Obviously the Johnsons, the Gordons, Earnhardt is no longer at this point in time, which is still kind of crazy to think about. We have the Chase Elliott, the Ryan Blaney, the Bubba Wallace, uh, the William Byron's 
Chase Briscoe. You have a lot of fresh faces in NASCAR. And I think finally, over the course of time, if you go back 20 years, it makes sense that we have finally reached this point where we have brand new drivers. Just think about, two. I think back to 2000 as you look at the class with Dale Jr. and Matt Kenseth when they came into the Cup Series, for example. All of them are all gone now, which is crazy to think. But again, we've got a, a young crop of drivers who are going to be way more hungry. And then obviously with a brand new car, it's going to change the dynamic. And it may play suit to a lot of the younger drivers. It may not be the older driver's cup of tea necessarily. So it's going to be cool moving forward as we continue to see the constant youth movement. And the thing is, it's not going to ever stop as you keep getting guys in the Xfinity series and the truck series guys are going to keep rising up the ranks. And so I think now it's almost like the NBA where there's a super young, there's a lot of young players. I think the average age in the NBA right now is 26.4. It's pretty low. That's virtually my age. So there's a lot of young guys that are the same age as me, even in NASCAR right now, that obviously the ones now are in their twenties and just starting out with NASCAR. So it's going to be a good a good change, honestly, and it'll be cool to see how they continue to develop their characters and personalities over their career. With the you know retirements, like Kenny said, there are some new faces coming on board. We have the man who dominated Xfinity last year, Chase Briscoe, basically put it out on himself that he needed to win somewhere between seven and nine races to get his career going to the next level. He won what ten, I think. Some double-digit craziness. Uh, Anthony Alfredo is also coming up uh, to uh, Cup this year. And Ross Chastain, like we mentioned before, uh, coming to the 42 car. So, Renee, who do you um, see as maybe the brightest of these three stars that I have listed here? And maybe somebody who could uh, win a race uh, as a rookie. Of those three, I'm going to lean towards Chase Briscoe just because of equipment. Um, Alfie Alfredo, Fredo, this is going to be the first time he's been full-time, I believe, in three years in any series. So there's going to be a little bit of adjustment for him. Though I think think that he he's going to be more of a second-half driver. If you've been around long enough to remember Jimmy Johnston and Ryan Newman's rookie year where... Jimmy Johnson, he won soon, but he was more of a slow burn as a po- as opposed to Ry- opposed to Ryan Ryan Newman, who pole after pole after pole. I think we have a little bit of that in there, where we can have someone who's really really fast, but has to figure out how to make it last for a cup race versus someone like a Chase Briscoe, who's been in the equipment, he knows the equipment well, and it is probably going to be that top line, very consistent talent all the way through. Ross Chastain, it's always nice to have that story of someone who wasn't ushered, basically ushered through and really had to grind for it. You just really want to see, just see do well because you know how much they've put into it. But as a pure production, I Chase Briscoe for me would be the odds on favorite. Okay. Okay. Uh, Kenny, uh, you feel the same way about Chase Briscoe? You think he's got the, the brightest and uh, the biggest chance to maybe make the most impact right out the gate? Yeah, honestly, I feel like he is the defined guy in terms of a rookie. I feel like he's a very polished rookie. And he said to himself in the previous year that he wanted to make sure he had at least 10 wins in the Xfinity series. And obviously, he eclipsed that pretty well in his second season in Xfinity last year. And he did great. He's a fantastic driver. I feel like he's a very composed driver. He doesn't. He doesn't drive over his limit, and that's why I think he's going to be able to survive in a cup race because you just can't go balls to the wall in a couple laps, and then boom, you think you got it. And again, I've seen it happen in younger drivers, and they've had to improve on that. I'll give the example of Noah Gregson and Tyler Reddick. Both of them have had to learn that if they want to win, they have to back it down just a tad bit, and that's why Tyler Reddick won two championships in Xfinity for that reason only because he figured out how to complete an entire race and actually make sure he's cool, calm and collected the entire time and just make sure he maintains his race car and keep it in one piece, honestly. So yeah, I think Chase Briscoe is probably the guy hundred percent. He may get a win this season. He may just do that. 
with the driver changes, there's also been probably the thing that got a lot of people's eyebrows raised. NASCAR has definitely done a big modification to the schedule this year. Uh, they've added the circuit, the circuit of the Americas, a uh, 3.4 mile road course in Austin, Texas. That's going to replace one of the traditional two Texas races that that, uh, the venue has always had Bristol Motor Speedway will be converted into a dirt track surface for its March 28th event. It'll be the first official dirt race in the series since 1970. Nashville Super Speedway, a 1.33 mile oval has been added this year to the uh, schedule. Road America, four point mile road, four, a four mile road course also added. Indianapolis this year, they will not be racing on the famed Indianapolis uh, 500 Motor Speedway course. They will be taking it to the road course, the two and a half mile road course this year, uh, following the Xfinity Series last year. Uh, the All-Star Race will be moved to Texas Motor Speedway. Darlington and Atlanta, they gained their second dates back on the schedule, and Chicago and Kentucky are no longer races on the schedule. So, Renee, I'll come to you with the schedule changes first. Uh, when we were coming up and getting into NASCAR, uh, I think that road courses were races that were tolerated. I don't think anybody really loved to sit through and endure road courses. But it seems that some way these these new generation of NASCAR fans have embraced road courses in a way that we never did. And the schedule is now reflecting that. <laughs> For yourself i've always loved road courses <laughs> i like i like watkins Glen way more than sonoma uh sonoma was never really a fun race for me so you're for the high speed road courses and not and not the technicals right <laughs> okay um yeah i was always the odd one out when we were when you, you would sit at a tailgate or amongst fans and say but i like sonoma and watkins Glen." <laughs> but yeah i think they're just trying to become more polished because most of the drivers nowadays, they have access to iRacing. They've been in, been in go-karts forever. They have more, just more, they've been on these tracks more than, than previous generations that grew up on the dirt tracks and the, con in, in the concrete tracks and the concrete bull rings. So I, hmm. So I'm looking forward to it personally. I know that some people aren't, but yeah, I think it'll be like a, a nice change. It will give you maybe a more complete view of, of a driver's skill. Um, the thing that point, sticks out to me is Darlington Atlanta, both getting their second date back. And I think about the commonality between those two tracks is they both have rougher surfaces. They're not the pristine spring high speed like Chicago in Kansas once were in the 2000s. It seemed just like there's a little bit of a correction from the early 2000s when we were going to big, big indie car style ovals. And they're like, these cars need, to, it's nice when they're able to be manhandled a little bit more. So it, I think that's also part of why the road courses are coming back, back in just to, to make it a little more technical because as, as technology is advanced, wh when do you see DNFs anymore? When right. do you really see that, that adversity in a, in a race? And I think they're trying to get a little bit of the old school bull ring and, and short track roughness back by going to road courses. Okay. Now, Front Row Kenny, you're going to be making your way down to Daytona, I guess, here, if you're not already there in a couple of days or so. And we're usually we kick off the season this particular Saturday with the uh, the clash at Daytona, which is usually kind of, you know, a nice little warm up, get everybody ready for speed weeks, get, you know, some of those guys in that race, some early drafting practice and just get acclimated back to being in the car after several months, uh, not being in the car, heading into the 500 and everything that surrounds it. But this year they're going to take it to the road course. And it's going to be in prime time on Tuesday night. So a couple of days before uh, the, the, the duels and everything like that. So how do you feel that's going to affect Speed Weeks? Is it going to make the clash more of a draw for television this year? As people were thinking that it had kind of moved out of favor as far as a, as far as a television must-see event. 
Yeah. So um, for me, surprisingly this year, I won't be going to Daytona. Um, I'll be working from home this year. But looking at the road course, I think it's a cool thing to do. It is something completely different. And at least from what I've read on NASCAR Twitter, I've seen the a plethora of fans say, man, we need to do something different than a clash. I hate to see all these tour race cars and all this and the big crash finally happens. People are like, ah, I don't want to see that anymore. Well, NASCAR said, OK, here you go. We're going to put it on the road course. We're going to try something different and we're going to put it under the lights, which is completely different. And we never had it under the lights. Obviously, we've had the race on the road course, obviously, in Xfinity trucks and cup during the summer. But this time we're going to run the clash. So we're going to do something completely out of the box and make it different for a change. And I, I think that's a welcome change from a lot of people. I guess you could say this is a true experiment. You want to see how people react to it, how they may feel about it. If it puts on a good race, I think it will. Honestly, it's not necessarily the typical. Obviously, we get the duels on Thursday. It's not your typical uh, super speedway race at this point. So, yeah, I'm actually pretty excited to see how this goes down on Tuesday. And especially if we stay clear of lightning and we may get rain. And I'm sure Obviously, with a road course, got to bring got to bring rain tires. So that could also be a twist in it. It may make it a pretty crazy event and a pretty fun one at that. So I'm looking forward to Tuesday night, and I hope everyone also tunes in for that one. Um, another aside, as far as a future maybe schedule change, it looks like California is throwing around maybe changing the big two-mile oval into a Martinville-style short track. Um, I, I, I don't know how that would look, but California has always been one of my favorite tracks just cause it's big, it's fast, but it's got that character like Darlington and Atlanta. And you really have to have some technical experience in driving it and not just, you know, go, go, go fast. So I would really hate to see them shrink that down and make that a, a, a short track because I, you know, we're adding so many short tracks. So you at least need a couple of just regular big ovals out there that aren't restrictor plates. I have some bad news for you because that's pretty much a done deal. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to leave it so we there can be one last race on the big oval before it's converted. But yeah, they're going to make it into, I forget if it's a three-quarter mile or a full mile, full mile kind of highly banked kind of cross between Martinsville and Bristol. Right. But yeah, that's it's going to happen happen in the next couple of years okay for sure um the intrigue of bristol being a dirt race um your thoughts on that anybody who wants to just jump in yeah so we've got a dirt race at bristol and that's pretty crazy it's been a long time i believe since they've actually put the entire track in dirt i want to say almost 20 years ago it wasn't for cup but the World of Outlaw Sprint cars that once upon once upon a time raced on dirt there, and they had a really big weekend there. It was interesting. I'm not gonna lie. Now I'm not sure how that's gonna translate for a Cup car necessarily because this is the first time we're trying dirt on a Cup car. Obviously, we've done it in the trucks at Eldora for the last couple of years. Not happening this year, unfortunately. But yeah, I think it'll be an interesting race. And again, going back to Chase Briscoe. He's one name I think you would throw in the misc, and obviously a Kyle Larson as well, who has seemed to have won every damn thing on dirt this entire summer and going into the fall. He'll be a, a, a fan favorite in that one for sure. But yeah, I think it'll be different. And again, in a very different world, we get a very different season. Right, right. So, yeah, the schedule is definitely once, you know, we get past the Daytona 500, I think the schedule is going to be a really big, as big a part of the season as the winners and losers uh, each and every week coming to so many new tracks and so many different disciplines back to back. Uh, are they going to try to keep up some of those double headers that they started as well, like the Michigan double header and the, and the Pocono uh, double header where they kind of do those back to back days and get those dates out in one weekend? Are they still going to try to streamline some of those days? I believe Pocono is the only one I know for sure is back to that. I may be wrong. I haven't looked at the schedule in a little while, forgive me. But I know for Michigan, it has turned into just one one weekend for them. And it's all every single series, I believe, will be at Michigan that weekend, except for the trucks. Okay. I thought that that was a really good um, change up 
the the back to back races, especially Michigan and at Pocono. Um, just you know those races, those tracks, they produce pretty good races, and to see those back to back days like that was pretty fun. Um, now we'll get to the prediction part of the show. As uh, first, I'll get Renee your thought on who is going to win this year's Daytona 500. If not Denny, it will probably. I would go with. I see Brad Keselowski's due for another plate win. Okay. Eventually, so. uh, but I mean, I've been in the off season. You know, you see clips from all from the previous 500s and each time you see that 11 there he's always in the mix mix even if he hasn't quite he's hasn't won it so i would obviously i would go with him as the strong favorite but daytona being daytona i i just get this sense that as what happened when ryan newman finally won for penske Mm -hmm. so many years ago it feels like it's just time for Brad Keselowski to get this one. So as in uh, all turns, no break style, your main. Uh, my my your, main. Your main. Your, your my main, main is, is my Denny, main is Denny. And your but, dark horse is Keselowski. I don't even know if you can call him a dark horse. But, yeah. but uh, dark. You want a true dark. If you wanted a true dark horse, I'd probably go with someone like Martin Truex Jr. Okay. All right. He, I mean, he finally made it to the end of a race in in July. Wait, no, that was August. Pardon me, in August, and he was he was in the mix as well. So my true dark horse is Truex. My, I'm gonna pick Keselowski. Okay, all right, all right, Kenny. Same thing with you, man. Your 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 main prediction, and then a dark horse. Yeah, so it's going to be a crazy one. I know it. And I'm actually on Renee's side with this one as well. I'm actually thinking about Keselowski. I feel like he is due for a Daytona 500. I feel like it is about time. He is by far one of the best super speedway racers in the current field, without question. There's just no doubt about it. So I think he could definitely do it now for a dark, I guess I could say my second pick. I won't say dark horse either. Because I feel like Penske is very good there. I'm actually going to pick Ryan Blaney for him to win and get a Daytona 500. He's been also pretty handy at the Super Speedways. He's had some very close finishes at Talladega. And he almost came close even last year in the Calamity at Daytona last year. So those are my two picks. And I'm going to stick right to him. Ryan Blaney has to learn the one thing when you come down to the end of that Denny Hamlin has learned stay on the outside. Don't go down to the inside. You lose your momentum that coming down that last little bit when you come down to the inside. But if you stay on the outside, most of the time, that's when the winner comes from. And that particularly, line. particularly at Daytona. Yeah. Because it's so narrow. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. That's another key thing about Daytona is it is so narrow and, you know, just piggybacking off what you just said about going, coming from the outside. The only way it works is, as we keep talking about him, is Denny Hamlin. When he did it in 2016, his own teammate actually made the wrong move. Denny bounced up to the high side along with him, took the slingshot, got right alongside Martin Truex as well, and then he won just by a couple inches. So you got to make that move at the very right time. You miss that move, you miss it. You missed that Harley J trophy. Right, right. Okay, my choice, Daytona 500 winner, I think it's going to be Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott is one of the few drivers who's actually won the cup championship before he's won the Daytona 500. So now I think this year is all about going after big trophies. So Daytona 500 being the first opportunity. So my choice is Chase Elliott. My dark horse, my second choice, Bubba Wallace Jr. Uh, Bubba Wallace, if... Joey Logano doesn't run out of talent in August, probably wins that second Daytona race. He was coming on the outside. Um, Unfortunately, got clipped even with a wrecked car. He finished fifth. Then in the second Talladega race, 
He was leading, finally got to the front with uh, less than 10 laps to go, but that was his first time. And so he didn't, didn't have that experience. He got shook out and ended up getting in the back and getting caught up in the late wreck. But ever since he's wrecked, he wrecked uh, Ryan Blaney in 2019. And that's how they race. He has been one of the best restrictor plate races, racers on the circuit. He's figured out how to get into that last, 10 or 15 laps in a position to make the move. He finally made it up to the front with a handful of laps to go. And now I think that experience could help him in this year's Daytona 500. Now we'll move on. But, oh yes. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Bub, Bubba's on plate tracks kind of remi reminds me of early day Jimmy Johnson was, yeah, on plate tracks. Exactly. Where he, he would always be around the wreck. <laughs> like Jimmy in those first couple of years, I don't know if, Kenny's old enough to remember this, but he would always be there, but around the wreck, maybe triggering the wreck in some instances. But at some point in it, like it was his fourth or fifth year, it, it clicked and he well, figured out how to get to the end of it. I'm going to tell you. I, I, do, I do remember that. It was, when, <laughs> it, was, it was the day he wrecked Dale Jr. at Talladega and they booed him out the damn track. <laughs> that was, after that race, he became a much better restricted play racer. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy used to catch hell at super speedway races, and that is hundred percent correct. Until he won at Daytona, it was it was rough for him. Like he had some pretty brutal incidents, but like it, a lot of times it wasn't his fault. He was just wrong place, wrong time. Right, right. Um, I'll come back to Miss Renee. Um, who do you have as a candidate to get their first career win this season? Yeah, we discussed Chase Briscoe earlier. I think he's just, he's, as um, Kenny said it right, he's just very polished as a racer. And that could bode for him well. Um, I'm very curious to see how Christopher Bell does with the Bristol, with the, with the Bristol race. Like Carl Larson, he's amazing on dirt. And he, does, he if he can figure that out, I, I'd pencil him in as one of the favorites at Bristol. I don't, and just for a third, I wouldn't be surprised if Bubba Wallace won this year. He's very good at Martinsville, and he also has Mike Wheeler as his, I believe it's his crew chief. And if you think back to Denny Hamlin's rookie year, Mike, Mike Wheeler and Denny Hamlin did very well with each other, and they did very well at flat tracks, namely Pocono. So Pocono is at that time in the season where new teams start coming together and if they can put it together Martinsville or Pocono might look very very good for for Bubba to be in the mix for a win okay Kenny same question to you man uh, candidates for their first career wins this year so I'm gonna actually throw another guy I talked about in as well I'm gonna say Tyler Reddick is one I feel like he's a pretty good super speedway racer he's not just there yet because he hasn't had a, a great great deal of time in the car necessarily at least in a cup car um but i think he's a really solid pick and if it's not a daytona or a talladega another place i think he could potentially win in the right place right time also is kansas his first time he got at kansas he finished eighth in just a debut and he didn't really have that much time with the car so he was fresh and he had a great run and i feel like he definitely could do it again at a track like eight atlanta or at kansas for example but was it was it him at Homestead that was just amazing in the first two thirds of the race and he sort of faded a little bit at the end? Yeah, he's fantastic. He was yeah. great in Xfinity. And I think that's from that first year when he got himself into the wall where he almost gave everything away. I think he learned in that moment. I have to back it down just a tad bit. And his second year when he went back to Homestead, he was fine. And he ran the wall pretty much the entire the entire evening. But he ran a composed race that time and learned when to back it down. And he got it done. So I think Tyler Reddick's a very underrated driver in the Cup Series. Uh, both of you guys just took my both of my choices. I, I think that Tyler Reddick is uh, like you, Kenny. I think he's going to win a race. Uh, he definitely made that uh, RCR equipment uh, actually look really good. Like, hey, they're not, a, they're probably not as middling of a team as we think. They just may not have had as much talent in the seat as they probably needed to in some instances. And uh, Bubba Wallace as well. I just think that everything is setting up for him 
Um, if it's not a restrictor plate race, it's going to be like a Michigan or somewhere where he's had traditional success uh, in the truck series. Um, I just think him being back in Toyota is probably going to be a big confidence boost for him as well. Just having that support behind him uh, where he found most of his success in the truck series uh, was underneath the Toyota banner. So uh, Tyler Reddick and, and Bubba Wallace are my two candidates uh, to score their first career win. And now we come down to who do we think is going to be taking the pictures on the front straightaway in Phoenix with the big trophy at the end of the season. So, Miss Renee, who do you think is going to end up being this year's cup champion? A few years ago, I picked Denny Hamlin, and I feel like I'm just going to stick with him until I'm right. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I'm starting to fear that he might be this generation's kind of Junior Johnson or Mark Martin who has an amazing career but not the championship. I kind of hope that isn't the case for him, but I'm just staying with Denny, Denny Hamlin until I'm right. All right. All right. <laughs> Kenny, your thoughts on who's going to win it all when we get to Phoenix at the end of the season. I'm actually going to take Kevin Harvick, who had the most wins last season. That's going to be me. I feel like he's obviously the vet. It's another year of doing this thing with a very limited amount of practice. And I thought he adjusted to that pretty well. And I think he could possibly win a championship again. I'm going to go with young Ryan Blaney to be this year's cup champion. Uh, I thought Blaney took a big step last year. Um, he won multiple races, probably should have won at least three or four more. There were a lot of races that he dominated that he didn't bring home, like the first Atlanta race. I mean, that was his race until they had that calamity on pit road. Um I just saw a lot of consistency from him. Uh, they did kind of fade once they got into the chase a little bit, some bad luck, some bad uh, pit stops and things like that. But I thought that he really took a step forward uh, last year and put himself in the mix uh, for a lot of wins. And I think that that will bode well for him coming into the season and could possibly produce uh, a cup championship for young Ryan Blaney. Um, at this point in time, is there anything that we didn't cover uh, as far as the racing goes that you guys would like to add? I'll start with Renee. Uh, anything that you'd like to just add on before I let you get your shout outs and thank yous in? Yeah, there was something that came came up when we we're talking about luck and how it changed changed hands and how if you just caught luck in the playoffs at the right right time, things would happen. And something crazy that just occurred to me is all of all of us have talked about how terrible Kyle Busch's season was and he did finish eighth in points and it wasn't up to his level but I think about when his win happened and if he, if his brother had not kind of stolen the the Las Vegas race and he and he could have gotten into the next round on points after the after the series that had the roval when that win came for him, he would have been in the championship four. All things considered, that's how, and that was kind of mind blowing to me on how close Kyle Bush's margins are for good season versus failure. He was that close to the championship four, yet everyone will consider his 2020 a failure. Right. And uh, he's basically had his whole team uprooted from underneath him. They've all moved over. Um, to the what is the 20 team and basically the 20 team has come over to the 18 car so he's got new crew chief and new engineers and everybody uh, working on his car this year so hopefully yeah. he'll provide a bounce back <laughs> yeah he joked that he felt like he was fired from the 18 team <laughs> so this week so so uh, Kenny same thing with you uh, anything that you'd like to just add in that we didn't get a chance to cover that you'd like to speak on I do want to say off the jump with uh, talking about Kyle Busch right quick is it's funny about his season and you look at what is considered a bad season, just like what Renee said, and it's crazy. Again, I'm not going to compare the two, obviously, but I'm just thinking about someone who was a previous champion and then had a a relatively average season for, for what their standard is, is Dale Earnhardt. So if you go back in history, obviously he's won seven championships, but there was one season where it just didn't really click for him, and that was a 92 season. He finished 12 in points in 92, but following 93 and 94, he won back-to-back championships. So you look at Kyle Busch, right? He had his season, and the same as Adele had his season that was so-so. 
they bounce back. They, he bounced right back. So it will be very interesting to see if Kyle Busch ends up bouncing back. But obviously that playoff format is tough and it's hard to win a second championship in that format. And I don't think anybody has been able to do it so far. It, it let alone obviously win it back to back, but winning two is going to be tough. So Again, right place, right time. Everything goes correct. He definitely could be a champion with without question. I feel like. I think he's the only one to win two under the playoff system. Is that right? Cal Bush. Uh, well, it has to be right. It has yeah, to be right because yeah, he because uh-huh. the season he came back, he broke his yeah, leg he at Daytona. Leg. He was going way, going Yeah, that has to be right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think so. I think that is correct. If if I'm thinking about yeah. it in his championships, because I, I thought what I'm thinking in my head is. The playoff format that we have now with the elimination, oh. I think, is, I think is the difference. So I think he he won in fifteen, and I believe that was the last year that we had a regular, you know, chase to the chase for the Sprint Cup, and then after that it changed, I believe. So yeah, he would be the first to he'd be the first to win it twice in that. He's won in twenty nineteen with the yeah. with the format, but yeah, it's it hasn't been done so far, which is still crazy. And I think he could do it, honestly. He he could do it. Um, my just last thing I'm going to touch on is this is going to be the 20th anniversary uh, this running uh, since we lost Dale Earnhardt. Um, so I know it's going to be a lot of emotional tributes uh, leading up to the race, the weekend of um, just, you know, celebrating his many accomplishments in his life and, you know, his legacy going forward with the safer barriers and then, you know, the, the neck restraints and all of the safety things that we've uh, seen come uh, to the forefront of NASCAR since 2001. Uh, so yeah, this is definitely be a, you know, a bittersweet Sunday uh, when they do uh, take the grid and, and fire them up on uh, this Daytona 500 because yeah, man, that's the main reason why I'm a fan of the sport is uh, that black number three. And, uh, you know, it was, that was probably one of the toughest days of being a sports fan that I've ever had uh, here in Mike Hilton uh, with that famous statement that we've lost Dale Earnhardt. And, uh, you know, nothing has been the same in the sport of NASCAR since. And uh, it's kind of been like a 20-year period of them trying to get to the point where they've gotten to this year, where this season has so much hope and so much um optimism from a regaining fans and making new fans and having chase you know come in as a champion most popular driver like kenny said uh it's a really an opportunity for nascar to springboard itself uh back into a major major player in the sports world and uh you know that'll be coming off 20 years since we lost dale earnhardt so first and foremost, for shout outs and thank yous, I'd like to uh, turn it over to Miss Renee. I think you have a black history fact you want to give us too as well. Yeah, I have a special, a special one that's kind of has, has a little melancholy to it. Um, this past week, Diane Durham died. Diane Durham probably isn't a name that is known to many people outside of the world of gymnastics. She was the first black na- national champion in 1983. She was basically toe-to-toe with Mary Lou Retton going into 1984. But through a series of convoluted thing, convoluted things that are way too long to talk about here, she did not make the Olympics. And I just wanted to shout her out because without Diane Durham, it's very, she paved the way for so, so many people. The Dominique Dawes, the Gabby Douglas, the uh, Simone, Simone Biles, every... Every all these viral ones you've seen, she they owe a little bit of gratitude to her. So I just wanted to shout her out and say, may she rest in peace. That's awesome. That's awesome. Any other shout outs or anything you'd like to uh, let the people know where they can find your writings or your work, anything like that? What you got going on? I don't have any writings right now. It's been a crazy start to the year, as I'm sure it's been for everyone. But I just want to thank you for reaching out and having me on. No, no problem. Always fun to talk racing uh, with you. We don't do it often enough, but when I get a chance to, I definitely love reaching out. Uh, Front Row Kenny, same thing, sir. Shout outs and thank yous. Yeah. um, First off, thank you for having me on. It's always awesome to be on this podcast as well. I will say, uh, again, another thank you to you guys because you were actually the first podcast I was ever a guest on. So, 
you know, coming back full circle, that was, I believe, like four years, four or five years ago, which right. is crazy how much time has flown by. But yeah, I absolutely appreciate y'all because I was just starting out podcasting. So I was super fresh to it. Wasn't <laughs> wasn't necessarily the same where I'm at now, at least I think. Um, but yeah, you know, huge shout out to you guys and know the score podcast. I really do appreciate it um, being on and being able to talk NASCAR, obviously, because like I said, growing up, I didn't really have a huge ton of people to talk to about nascar so being able to do it on a huge platform like this is always is always great i'm always going to say that and um no real huge shout outs of course no, no nothing real too big shout out to my team at nascar of course and if you guys want to follow me on twitter i do like to talk nascar and other sports as well sometimes other things with life you can follow me at front row kenny on twitter i will follow you back we can talk we can chat just be cool calm and we're all good. That's it. That's all I got, man. Uh, you can check out Front Row Kenny's opinion each and every week over on All Turns No Breaks with his co-hosts Tam and Renee. Uh, they go through the race. They go through what happened. They go through the aftermath. And then they talk about what's going to happen on the next week as well. So one of my favorite NASCAR uh, podcast to turn it to tune into uh, during the season because you know they talk about it from a, a perspective that you know we look at things so definitely appreciate all the hard work that those three have put in over the past two years especially uh, with that podcast so thank you Kenny Renee and Tam uh, my shout outs will be just for Kenny and Renee thank you for joining me uh, for this uh, season preview of NASCAR Definitely appreciate the chance and opportunity to talk NASCAR with you two, uh, get in depth, uh, preview the season, and hopefully uh, some new fans will you know tune into this show and tune into the season, and uh, we'll have a very exciting Daytona 500 all the way through to the last race at Phoenix. Um, you know, hopefully we'll see some 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 history made with Bubba Wallace getting into the into the winner circle. Uh, this year in victory lane. Uh, I think that would just do so much for the sport. Um, and, you know, just some of these young drivers kind of taking that next step forward into becoming the household names. And, you know, maybe there's some kid who's going to watch this race and, you know, he's going to pick up Chase Elliott as his favorite driver. And, you know, for the next 20 years, he's going to be hooked into the sport just like I was with Dale Earnhardt. So looking forward to this season, looking forward to the Daytona 500, and hopefully everybody out there uh, enjoyed the preview. So for Miss Renee and Front Row Kenny, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score. <laughs>